it's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Report Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats. Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to our Monday edition of the Leach Report. A uh, really nice day, and uh, I think this might be our, our last one for a few days as it's going to get a little chillier as the week moves forward. But, man, what a beautiful opening weekend it would have been for uh, Keeneland or maybe to have been in Atlanta for the Final Four. And we, uh, we uh, have to deal with only thinking of what would have been. But today we'll talk about... Uh, Something that was, what was, it was the 2012 championship game that was replayed on CBS yesterday, the uh, CBS telecast of that, and uh, we're going to have a rebroadcast tonight on the UK Sports Network. We're going to talk about that here in just a bit with Coach David Sisk from Cats Illustrated, uh, where he covers the recruiting scene for them, and we'll we'll get into a little bit of that, but he also does some uh, really uh, interesting breakdowns from a coach's perspective of uh, key plays and players of games and look he's looked at a lot of Kentucky games in recent weeks and so we'll talk to him about that 2012 team and then Kyle Tucker joins us in the second half on Mondays here on the Leach Report. Wildcat news of the day is a service of Cardinal Point Financial Group that is a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. The uh, big news came yesterday Ashton Hagens announcing that he is headed to the NBA. Uh, certainly was not surprised by that news. I think uh, this was, uh, I think Ashton's mindset, my guess is that uh, his mindset coming into the year was that uh, he was coming back for one more season and then gone. Um, Cal released a statement saying, quote, Ashton is ready for this. Uh, he talked about what separates him is his competitiveness. And what I always say with the guards in particular is when you, make the decision to go you should have something that you can hang your head on an nba skill something that the the nba would want unless you're just a superstar guard that can do everything well so you know in emmanuel's quick in emmanuel quickly's case if he decides to go it could be his shooting now there there's really things that need to get better but he does have a a skill that uh is uh marketable uh for ashton it is his defensive ability and that's what could get him a job in the league. Uh, he'll probably get drafted in the second round, and he'll probably spend uh, a good bit of time in, in the G League. We'll talk about this with Mike Pratt uh, later this week, a little bit with Kyle when he joins us as well. But Ashton does at least have an NBA skill uh, in his ability to defend. And, yeah, he could come back and uh, work on his shooting, but I don't think it's going to suddenly get a whole lot better if he came back for another year. So I can understand why he makes uh, this decision. Wish him well. It's too bad that uh, it uh, ended like it did, and that's the last memory. And that's something he'll probably have to deal with as he goes into the NBA and uh, gets uh, to get in whenever the the draft happens and he starts to get uh, evaluated. That I'm guessing would be one thing that the NBA folks will want to know a little bit more about. But uh, you know, had he been able to have the postseason to change some of those opinions could have certainly helped him uh that got to deal with what is and uh, so we wish ashton well and uh again with his defensive ability i think he has a shot to uh, 
to make it in the league at some point. Uh, Kentucky Classics replay tonight on the UK Network. It's the 2012 championship game, Kentucky over Kansas, and it'll be um, a chance to, to relive uh, John Calipari's first national title uh, and Kentucky's eighth uh, a last-second shot up at uh, Indiana for that team is, I think, really what kept them from being undefeated. We always talk about how close 2015 was, but that was a last-second shot up at Indiana. If Kentucky, uh, if Watford misses that shot, Kentucky wins that game. I think they probably would have played differently against Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament final. They might well have been an undefeated national champion. They were a lot closer than, than people really talk about much like they do with, uh, as, certainly as much as they do with the 2015 team uh, because the one loss happened in December. Uh, outstanding team, though. Talked to Darius Miller on uh, Saturday, taped an interview with him for the pregame show tonight. Uh, I've got a, a long interview with Cal. Uh, we'll hear from Mike Pratt. And then I found my postgame interview with Cal that we did out on the court at the Superdome, so we'll have that in the wrap-up show tonight on the broadcast. I was glad to see that Eddie Sutton was elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame on Saturday. Well-deserved honor for the one-time Kentucky coach who had uh, great success certainly at Arkansas and at Oklahoma State. And uh, Eddie was a, uh, was a, as we were talking on Friday, a good guy that uh, certainly had some, some personal issues that um, caused him problems. But um, he uh, was a, a good good man in the time that he was here. Treated people well in that regard is what I'm talking about. And so I was happy for him to um, get this uh, this honor uh, while he is still with us. Uh, he's had a couple of strokes, and so he can't talk anymore. He did out at Arkansas. You know, Cal had gotten ejected from the game, so he wasn't going to do the postgame interview because he hadn't seen most of the second half. So I was waiting to talk with Kenny Payne and. Cal's coaching office is right off the locker room, and uh, Coach Sutton, someone wheeled uh, Coach Sutton up, and he wanted to go in and visit with Coach Calipari. So uh, they had a, a visit after the game out at Arkansas this year. Reports uh, say that the one-time transfer rule is likely to get approved, but probably won't take effect, likely won't take effect until the following summer. And coming up at 12.35 today, look for Alex Martins on SportsCenter talking about National Student Athlete Day representing the sport of softball. Heading to a break. When we come back, Coach David Sisk will join us. Um, It's the Leach Report. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. And we'll be right back to uh, talk a little bit about the 2012 championship win for the Cats. Get into a little recruiting with David as well. Here on the Leach Report, Radio Network. Can't get to a radio? You can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com. Now, back to the show. Coach David Sisk joins us from catsillustrated.com on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. And tonight, the UK Network's going to replay the 2012 National Championship game. And, uh, David, you've been doing some interesting breakdowns from a coach's perspective of some of these uh, big tournament wins for Kentucky. And the, the most recent one is the, the 2012 win over Kansas. What were some of the things that, that stood out to you as you went back and really broke down that game? And, and what was it that uh, enabled Kentucky to, to get the eighth national championship? Well, um, number one, this team just come at you in waves. And um, that was the thing that 
really is. And I did I did the Louisville game in the Final Four as well. Um, and that's the thing that even with their size, uh, just how a six nine Terrence Jones could run, how a six eleven Anthony Davis could run. Um, just these guys were were just relentless, and there, there, there were so many. Michael Kidd Gilchrist at six seven, just so many guys who could um, just overpower you on both sides of the floor. And you know, you take the Louisville game, for example, in the Final Four, and uh, you think that okay, Louisville's smaller, they may want to get the pace a little faster. They had to slow it down; they couldn't keep up. And uh, Kentucky was able to do that with Kansas. Uh, really through the first 20 to 25 minutes and build that 16-point lead. Uh, they, they just had guys that were stronger and they were faster, and they had several like that. It just wasn't a one-man show. There were, in watching this and, and looking at some of your breakdowns, there were a guy who I had forgotten how big a few of his plays were in this game. It was Terrence Jones. Um there was a near turnover that you've uh, got a clip on and on your uh, Twitter feed where he saves it from being a turnover and Kentucky ends up getting I think a point off off that possession on a foul. There was another one where I think Anthony Davis knocks a ball loose and he scoops it up and dunks it when Kansas was going to maybe go down and have a chance to get closer. Yes, I I actually like to when I watch Terrence Jones just make comparisons sometimes between me and Julius Randle. Um, in the college that. game, just the similarities. Just, you know, it was like a man playing with boys at times, and, and they just did what they wanted to do inside. And and uh, he had one play early on. He had a, a, a dunk where he is uh, driving on Thomas Robinson. And Thomas Robinson was a man. He was uh, 240 pounds, and Randall just drives and just basically shoves him off and discards him and goes up for the dunk. And he had a lot of plays like that uh, in games that I've watched before and, and going back and remembering how he played. And like I said, at, at his size and his weight, um you know, he, he just overpowered people inside, and, and then he could get out on the floor on the break and run like a deer. You know, he's throwing people out of the way one minute and dunking the ball, and then the, the next minute he's he's on a fast break, he's in behind the defense, and he's catching and dunking the ball in transition. The previous year had been what is still Calipari's most prolific three-point shooting team with Knight and, and Lamb uh, leading the charge, but um, this was was not a team. Certainly, with this, with guys like Jones and MKG and, and Davis, they were not uh, relying on three-point shooting at all this season. But the three was huge. Uh, in the second half, uh, Lamb uh, hit back-to-back threes when Kansas was making a run about midway through the second half, and then Teague hit a huge one in the last four or five minutes. Yeah, the three-pointer and was really what saved them. And it wasn't like that they had gotten behind uh, and they had to have one to, to clinch the game, but it was like you said, it, it saved them against runs because um, – they had gotten 
really conservative in the second half. And I have to bring this up. You know, one of the complaints I heard this year on the Kentucky team with fans would say, well, we just, and you heard it, we can't hold a lead. We, we get up double digits and, uh, they start playing against the clock and they let teams come back into it. And, um, this team had a little bad, a little bit of it too in the NCAA tournament and in the games I've spoken about. Um, you know, they had, uh, I think the Louisville lead was 12, maybe somewhere right in there. And Louisville comes back and, uh, uh, I believe tied it up. And then you see this, uh, game here go from, uh, 16 to four. And, uh, Kentucky got, it, it was more half court. If you noticed in the first half, it wasn't as strategic. Uh, and, I, my clips were more just, they were kind of like highlights because that's what this Kentucky team did. They just got out on a break and they ran, they dunked the ball and they may, you know, they block a shot and get a rebound or, or get a, or a rebound or block shot either one and get out and run. And in the second half, it was more, it, it was half court. It started slowing down. The game got bogged down and they were, were having trouble getting points. So when they needed them and Kansas was making a run, they found it in half court. You know, all three of those threes were were half court shots, some of them coming very late in the shot clock. So yes, uh those threes by Lamb and Teague were, were huge in, in holding the Jayhawks off. It is uh, amazing to look back at that game and see how a player like Davis the the impact he was able to have while going one of ten from the field. Yes. Six points, sixteen rebounds, six blocks. He had eleven blocks, three steals. Yeah, uh, yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, three steals. He had um, eleven blocks in the final four, uh, but he could just take over a game from so many ways. And the one big play I think about, and it wasn't uh, the big as far as, as crucial late in the game when they're trying to hold Kansas off, but. It put him up 16 was when he missed a jump hook and, um, he taps the ball out from behind, uh, from Withy, I think it was, and Terrence Jones picks it up and dunks it and Kentucky goes up 16. Um, just plays like that, you know, he could do so much to impact the game, as you said, without scoring. Uh, and, and one thing Calipari did, uh, I thought that was big in this game. Kansas' best score inside, best offensive post player was Thomas Robinson. Well, he, he didn't put Davis on Robinson. Uh, he put Terrence Jones on him, and he put um, Davis on Jeff Withy. Withy couldn't get a shot off over him, and, and those were better matchups. Withy was seven feet skinny, built a lot like Davidson, uh, or like uh, Davis rather, but um, what happened was Davis was able to roll from that backside. So Jones would play more than one. Then when he went up for a shot, Davis would come as the shot blocker and clean it up. And I, I thought that was huge in that game and, and his ability just to impact shots. It's also interesting, too, as, as I watch him, uh, and watch him in this game and then watch him with the Lakers now. And just to see, and this happens, obviously, this is eight years down the road, um, how much his body's matured, he's gained 33 pounds, how much he has, 
just improved his all-around game offensively. I, I saw games like where he was the trail man uh, um, at Kentucky, and you know he gets to pass the trail. The defense is playing off. He doesn't even look for the shot. Uh, whereas now, if he gets that with the Lakers and he's trailing and he catches it, the guys and he's the top of the key, and a guy's five feet off of him, he's going to knock down outside jumper. Uh, just how his body's matured, how his um, um, everything, you know, his game is matured, and and that was just one of those things too. This Kentucky team that made it so great. It, it if if these guys would have come back, and obviously in today's game they're not going to do that, but they could have just gotten better and better and better because you just think how much better guys like Anthony Davis and oh Michael Kidd Gilchrist were going to be. <laughs> Talking with Coach David Sisk from Cats Illustrated. We'll be right back. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Another quick uh, segment here with Coach David Sisk from Cats Illustrated. Uh, David, um, uh, we've got uh, we're talking about this 2012 game. Let's look a little bit to the, the future. And um, Greg Brown's really about the only name out there for, in terms of a recruit that uh, Kentucky still mentioned with, and they're not expected to get him. So if they add to this recruiting class, it's it's got to be either through a reclassification or a grad transfer, most likely, right? That is correct. Um, Greg Brown, the only player right now that that we hear mentioned. Uh, with Kentucky, but I, I think they're down the list a little bit. Um, Shaka Smart returning, you know, he, he you talk about a man with nine lives. Um, <laughs> he he was a dead man walking, and he uh, he returns. You know, they they had a rally, and I I really didn't know where that came from, but he rallies and, and gets to the uh, – has a successful end of the season there and then gets another season, another year. And Greg Brown's father and uncle play football at Texas. He lives in Austin, to make a long story short. So uh, we expect him to, to – that's where he's going to end up. Uh, so About 20 seconds Kentucky, here, David. Uh, Kentucky is looking now at um, – at, uh, probably the grad transfer route if they can find anybody but there's also a chance maybe that transfers could get an, an, an automatic eligibility so that's something to look at too david thank you much thanks buddy Kyle tucker when we return this is the leach report on talk radio 1080 you can follow tom on twitter it's at when tom leach ky morning, and the sunlight hurts my eyes we lost Bill Withers on Friday. It was uh, after our show, so uh, we wanted to drop in a little Bill Withers music. Uh, what a great sound. This is my uh, favorite song of his, I think, but there were several really, really good ones. As we welcome in Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. So how's your uh, coronavirus uh, quarantine going there, Kyle? Well, it was a long weekend. Uh, a guy doing some uh, landscaping for us on Friday afternoon uh, cut our uh, MetroNet fiber internet line. 
Oh no! And we stream we stream all of our TV, our internet, everything. Like everything we every device in our house is connected to our uh, MetroNet, and uh, we have twin three year olds, as you know. Uh, so it was a, it was an interesting uh, interesting weekend not to be able to stick them in front of the TV for a couple hours at a time, but uh, it was good. We got out and did stuff outside, and uh, you know did what. Uh, you know, prehistoric people did before the internet. Turning back the clock a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fine. We survived. Uh, they came back out this morning and got us up and running, so we're all able to get back to work. But uh, yeah, good, good. It's uh, thank thank God for the good weather we've had because uh, I think that's made some people uh, maintain their sanity. Certainly has yeah. me. Yeah, I agree. It's nice to just you know see uh, you know beautiful trees and flowers. You can go out and take a walk. If you fish, you can go ahead and do that. Maybe. You can play golf or whatever you can do that uh, where you can do it uh, with with some space. Uh, it is uh, nice to enjoy that. Um, let's talk about the Ashton Hagen story first. Uh, I don't think I'm guessing you were not surprised with his announcement that he was headed to the NBA, right? No, it's it's pretty much been the the word I've gotten since the season ended. I mean, and really, honestly, before the season ended, I think it was obvious he was going to be gone. Uh, but you know, I checked in with people. As soon as it was officially, the season was officially over, and and there was no, there was no feeling that uh, inside the program that there was any chance that Ashton Higgins was going to come back. And you know, Cal Perry met with those guys the day after they got back from Nashville before they all packed up and went home. And I think everybody had a good sense that he knew what he wanted to do, and he was headed headed out uh, regardless. You know, I think he would have loved to have done it last year, but he wasn't in position to be drafted. Now he'll he'll get drafted. Whether he'll stick or have to go to the G League or whatever, we'll see. I suspect he'll have to do it the hard way, uh, probably be a second-round pick and have to kind of scratch for his opportunity, but he's ready to do that. And, uh, you know, I think at this point, if you're a five-star kid and you come in and start for two years at Kentucky, uh, you've kind of you've given your service, and I don't think anybody can uh, really quibble with it much other than if he'd come back. Obviously, they could have chased something as a team, uh, much bigger that they didn't get to go after. He mentioned that in his note, um, wanting to come back to compete for a national championship. I do know he was he had a big um, kind of chip on his shoulder after what happened in the Elite Eight last year. You know, team they beat twice, lose to him with a chance to go to the Final Four, and he had a big part in that. He turned it over seven times, and uh, you know, admitted to me afterward that he had gone into that game a little nonchalant, kind of overlooking them because they'd beaten him a couple times, which is crazy to think anybody would do in the elite eight but he was a freshman and i I think he felt bad about that and he really wanted to redeem himself and then the way the season ended this year where he wasn't with him at the end of the regular season and was coming back i think again i think he doubly wanted to redeem himself in the postseason so i I would have been really interested to see what postseason ashton hagans look like this year yeah i agree we'll never know um i i would like to have seen that too and what i said earlier um about my feeling is when guys making NBA decisions, especially if you're a guard, uh, is that you the you're got a good shot to make it if you have a marketable NBA skill. If you're just a you know run of the mill solid guard um, that looks like a you know several dozen other players, you're really up against it. At least he has a a skill that. Uh, puts him in a in a shorter line, if you will, of guys who are great defenders. Yeah, I mean the the league is so offensively minded right now, and it's so shooting uh, perimeter shooting in particular. 
minded right now that that I think that's going to give him trouble. But he would have no shot if he weren't exactly as you said. He, if he didn't have something that makes him stand out, and he he's as good a defender as on ball defender as exists in college basketball, uh, and so that gives him a shot. I mean, he he has to aspire to be Pat Beverly or you know something like that uh, in the NBA. But he he is going to have to make better decisions offensively. I mean, no, no amount of great defense is going to make up for the fact that you're if you're a mess on the other end. If you can't make shots uh, from the outside, if you can't finish on the inside, and he's got had both of those issues. Yep. Um, and if you turn the ball over, so he's he's got three real strikes against him on the offensive end, and that's why I think he's going to start in the G League and have to prove himself as a as a playmaking point guard. Um, but He's going to, I think, get a longer look than many guys who will be drafted in the, the range. He'll get drafted probably mid-30s to early 50s. Um, he'll get a longer look because he does have something that every team needs, a lockdown defender. Let's talk about EJ. You had a story about him at The Athletic last week. Uh, some quotes from his mom that after I uh, talked about it here on the show, after reading the quotes, uh, one of which she made reference to what Nick did in a third year and that that would factor into their decision. And I came away from reading that thinking, okay, EJ's looking at this the, the right way. And I kind of, from reading that, I would lean toward maybe he more likely thinking he's back and then uh his dad talked to uh to jerry uh tipton at the herald leader and some quotes that uh, were kind of towards the other end of the spectrum so what's your take on where ej is and how this will play out yeah those couldn't have been more different and then you know his parents live under the same roof (laughs) right (laughs) uh and, and those interviews were like a day apart i think um and whereas when i talked to his mom it was all i think there was great care taken to be sort of balanced in their approach to it. And, and really just say, we don't know. Like her big thing was Cal told us sit tight because, because they don't, EJ needs a combine. EJ needs workouts um, to see where he stands. Um, and he may not get those things, or it may be a while before he, before he does. We don't even know when the draft. Um, you know, are they going to hold those events, the combine, the, the team workouts, whatever, uh, at a later date, and they don't know, and they just said we we really don't have the information even to make those decisions right now, um, and so it was kind of balanced. But then the the thing that struck me about the dad's comments to Jerry was the word wasted uh, waste. I think he said you know yeah. he, he he doesn't need to waste another year, um, which if that if that is their mentality that like college is wasting time, then that doesn't bode very well. Uh, for him to come back, um, I was just a little surprised by that. I've, I've, I know his parents a little bit. I, I went down to Georgia when he and Ashton Hagens were high school prospects and watched them work out together and sat down with all all of them and their families. And I uh, have talked to them over the last couple of years, and uh, I've always thought uh, their families were their family was very um, sort of thoughtful about the process, um, and so. It, uh, that was sort of surprising to me, I guess, to hear the, the phrase, you know, he doesn't need to waste another year. Um, and after that, sort of circling back and getting some a feeling from some people uh, outside the program and in, I, I think there's now some real concern, if not resignment, to the idea that all five of those guys who are entering, going to ultimately enter their name in the draft are going to stay in. Uh, Ashton Hagen's not a surprise. Maxie, not a surprise. 
Nick Richards, not a surprise. Uh, and then both Emmanuel Quickly and EJ. Um, I think, I think the vibe is now trending very strongly towards all five of those guys being gone, which by the way, that's your starting five from this year. And, and I think most people at various points over the last few months have thought, well, whatever happens this year, they have a, like a terrific, terrific high end recruiting class, not just a bunch of five stars, like ho hum five stars, but a couple guys who are, you know, top five ish caliber freshmen coming in plus, well, you're going to have uh, Johnny Juzang and EJ Montgomery and Keon Brooks and maybe Emmanuel quickly all back. Um, now you might yeah. only have Keon Brooks back. Yeah, I think people probably were looking at it thinking, okay, it's going to be like this past team where you'll have a, a little bit more of a veteran presence than usual plus an even better recruiting class. Yes, exactly, like more impact. Because this year the, the freshmen didn't make a major, major impact other than Tyrese Maxey. But – you're thinking there's two or three freshmen coming in this year. Uh, you know, I would say Terrence Clark, BJ Boston, Boston being the, the real, I think, chance to be the real star of that group. And then Devin Askew, I think it's going to be really good. Um, and now that, that's all true about the freshmen still, but now you, Keon Brooks is your veteran. Um, and I think that's great for Keon. I think he can be a terrific piece for them. I thought he would be an even, even more of an impact player this year than he was, but we saw a glimpse in that Florida game of what he can be for them um, and a couple of glimpses over the year of what he can be for them. I think he can be great, and I think that's huge that he's probably, I would say, almost certainly coming back. Um, but, you know, could you have used a shot maker like Johnny Juzang? And, and certainly they wanted and thought they could get E.J. Montgomery back to be their, you know, their veteran big man. A junior E.J. Montgomery building on sort of some of the terrific things he did to finish this last season. I mean, his last if he doesn't come back to Kentucky, his last play at Kentucky was a game-winning tip-in, coming flying in from the backside. Um, I think if you have EJ, Keon, and Johnny back even, just those three with the freshmen, you, had to, you would have to feel really, really good. Then add a grand transfer guard, a grand transfer big man to give him some depth, you know, a second ball handler. Now you're feeling great. There are a lot more questions if all five of those guys stay in the draft. Talking with Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com, and we'll head to a break. Come right back. Hits the Leach Report. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Open right now for carryout for a great uh, breakfast or brunch today. Your uh, team there at home, so uh, have it delivered and get Wild Eggs and uh, help out a great uh, local restaurant that is one of our partners here on the Leach Report. We'll be right back. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Coming up next, it's Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones. Kyle Tucker with us on the KentuckyHelpWorks.com hotline. You can read him at TheAthletic.com. And we are uh, chatting about uh, some of these NBA decisions for Kentucky guys. The thing with, uh, we were just talking about with Hagens, that he has a, an, an NBA skill, marketable skill in his ability to defend. That's EJ's on the other end of that spectrum, in my mind. I see if you agree that if you're an NBA guy looking at him, goes you're somebody says, well, take a look at, at Montgomery here from Kentucky, and the GM says, okay, tell me, what he, what's he do best? Right. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's the the issue I think he's going to run into. Um, you know, you can uh, 
his family said last year that you know he went and did some workouts when he went tested the waters that some people said they were going to draft him and maybe even in the end of the first round i i have a hard time believing that but i mean i i know that he can work out really impressively um but no amount of workouts i don't think is going to override what people have seen on film and and what you would hope that EJ would be what you would try to show if you came back is, you know, be that 6'10 guy who can shoot the ball and has this offensive, terrific offensive package uh, of skills, which I, I think he showed in high school and, and teased that he could do at different points here. Uh, you know, like I said, I wouldn't watch him work out um, when he was in, in high school and, you know, he's making everything baseline jumpers, you know, turnaround jumpers, the jump hook. I mean, he, he could make, Everything. He was a kid who was, you know, a six-six guard, six-five guard, you know, all the way until he was in like eighth grade. And he had a not a crazy Anthony Davis growth spurt, but he had a, a growth spurt and became a big man. And so he's always kind of thought of himself as a big guy with guard skills. But he hasn't really shown that in game, you know, in live action in college. That's what he could show and would try to show. I mean, he. I think he'd want to be a P.J. Washington type of guy who can step out and make shots. Uh, but he's got to do that um, for the NBA to stand up and take notice. Now, he's, you know, I think he's a much better rim protector than I think people think of him as. I think he can be a great help side shot blocker. Um, there have been games where he rose up and had a, you know, grabbed a bunch of rebounds. He, I, he is that kind of guy. He's got the kind of body and athleticism and length to be the guy who gets the rebound that seems impossible out of area, contorting his body, using his, you know, long go go gadget arms to go grab, you know, <laughs> steal one away from somebody else. We've seen him do that at times, come up with in some moments with some huge uh you know, how did he get that one offensive rebound or defensive rebound or block. Um but those those moments have been so few and far between that I don't know how you could be an NBA front office person and look at that and go, Oh, well, we can count on that. I mean, Ashton Hagens for two years, for all his flaws, and there there are plenty, for two years was a breathtaking defender. Uh, you know, somebody tweeted it out the other day, and I remarked on it again. The, the play he made at the end of the Texas Tech game is about as incredible yeah. of a defensive play as Ashton Hagens we're talking about. The block off the board. Anybody make. Yeah. yeah. Um, just crazy. And... You know, EJ Montgomery doesn't have that body of work, so I, I, I'm I'll be in, very interested to see how this develops as he maybe gets more feedback from the NBA before if he hasn't already made a final decision. Um, if he can be swayed to look, you know, you got to go show something consistently. About a minute here, Kyle. Uh, quick thought on your recollections, your memories of the 2012 team where we playing the championship game tonight. I think I'll always remember Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Just his attitude, his, um, you know, he had uh, a speech issue that from youth that, you know, he had to work through and did work through and never, he never shied away from talking to us. He wanted to, he, you know, he wanted to work on his game. He also wanted to work on that part of himself. He wanted to get out there and learn how to deal with it. And so he was always great. He always had this incredible, happy, energetic attitude with us. And I, that, I think you could see that was, he had that same attitude with that team you know he was the breakfast club guy and as much as anthony davis was the star and you know deron lamb probably very underrated from that team as a shot maker and tj uh, uh terrence jones um to me that the heart and soul of that team was 
Michael Kidd Gilchrist, and you know you couldn't ask for a more likable uh, glue guy than that than that guy. And I remember Steve. too. I would say when I knew they were going to win the national championship after they lost the SEC championship game because Michael Kidd Gilchrist looked like he would was ready to uh, like literally kill someone <laughs> after a, after they lost that game in the locker room. A great teammate and a uh, and a great winner to have on uh, on your team. Kyle, thank you much. Stay safe. Thank you. As Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com. We'll come back and wrap up this edition of the Leach Report in just a moment. We are served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Among the uh, people who have been claimed by the coronavirus is Tom Dempsey, uh, the uh, kicker for the Saints most notably, but he was with several NFL teams over his career. But he's most remembered for an NFL record-setting 63-yard field goal. Record since been broken, but it stood for a long time. He set this back in the early 70s. Uh, We've got a play-by-play clip here from the Saints radio network. A guy named Al Wester was on the call. Tom Dempsey. The ball is down. Dempsey kicks. It's on the way. It is good. It's good. It's good. The Saints have won. The Saints have won. That was uh, Tom Dempsey's record setter. They, as you heard uh, the call mention, he said 62 yards. Sometimes uh, when you're doing the the game live, you are. Making your best guess, sometimes the official score uh, might see it a little differently as did there and actually ruled that as a 63-yard field goal record at the time. Stood for a long time, as we said. Hopefully you cashed on our Tito's Vodka Race of the Week. Kamari, a come-from-behind winner. The Purple Martin Stakes out at Oakmont. Hopefully we can uh, have another one. That's two out of the last three weeks for our uh, Tito's Vodka Race of the Week, so we'll try to keep it going this Friday. Have a good day, everybody. Whenever you miss a show, and be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom,